How's everybody doing? So this morning we want to talk about what I've titled humble confidence. So it's kind of the balance between um, obviously the biblical call to walk in humility, but also the biblical call to achieve as much as we can in giving honor and glory to, to God as well. So what does it mean to be truly humble? Does walking in humility mean that we should not have big goals or dreams? Does God receive much glory if our performance is simply average in our workplaces or communities? How do you maintain humility while striving for excellence? What do we tell ourselves when we achieve our goals? What do we tell ourselves when we don't achieve our goals? If it's God's will, will the right things always align on their own? Or do we need to take some initiative in that? Those are all questions that we'll be looking at here this morning. But in discussing humility, I think it's needful that we define pride here for a moment. What is pride, you ask? And I'm glad you asked because I was going to, to tell you a definition that I found here. The sin of pride is an excessive preoccupation with self and one's own importance, achievements, status, or possessions. And pride really is a serious issue in the Bible that's clearly identified as sin. So pride keeps us from building a team. Pride renders us unteachable. Pride closes our minds to feedback. Pride prevents us from admitting mistakes. Pride keeps us from making changes. Pride hinders us from reaching our potential. And pride destroys relationships. Pride also distorts our vision or perspective on reality. Pride shows up in so many ways. You know, some people are proud of all they've achieved. Some people are proud of how little they've achieved in an earthly sense. And, you know, some people are proud of how lavish their lifestyles are. Some are proud of how humble theirs is, right? So pride can show up in so many different ways. In Romans 1.30, and looks like we have a wobbly podium here. Um, in Romans 1.30, Paul describes unrighteous people who will incur God's wrath as backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. So we know God opposes the proud, right? Which is another word for working against the proud, the pri sorry, the prideful. And we have many examples of this in Scripture. Here are a few. So pride caused the downfall of King Uzziah, who dared to burn incense on the altar of incense and was struck with leprosy as his punishment from God. Hezekiah became proud of heart after the Lord healed him. His pride brought God's wrath, not only against him, but also all of Judah and Jerusalem. King Herod's pride in accepting the people's worship and refusing to give God the glory for his greatness also brought judgment. God struck him with a sickness and he was eaten by worms and died. That would be pretty, pretty bad. King Nebuchadnezzar, we had talked about him in Sunday school here a number of months ago. God struck him with a condition, and picking up here in Daniel 4, verse 25, God told Nebuchadnezzar that you will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. 
Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So that's what God wanted for him to learn. Um, And these are really just a few examples. We could review many more in Scripture. And one thing is certain in the Bible, and it's explicitly clear that God hates pride. Um, Almost to a level of um, where it's mentioned almost more times than, than a lot of other sin. Even large companies sometimes are blindsided by pride. So Microsoft in 2007, when the iPhone came out, and of course as an Apple user, I got to enjoy this one a little bit. Um, <laughs> when the, the iPhone came out in 2007, Steve Ballmer, which was a CEO of Microsoft at the time, actually laughed at it said that it would never gain any significant market share because it lacked a physical keyboard. So how did that go, guys? Like, so they were very blindsided to the point where in later then he recognized the success of the iPhone, but by that time Microsoft was so far behind in the phone market that they simply couldn't catch up and later discontinued that, that product. And that happened in the case of, um, you know, film camera makers and a lot of other, a lot of other areas where, when we're blinded by pride, we don't see things that that could be um, coming our way. In Proverbs eight thirteen, it's recorded: "All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech." You know, currently it's so much more trendy to talk about false humility, right? Which I would argue is not a thing. Um, we tend to talk about false humility while the Bible is essentially quiet on that issue. Pride simply is pride in all its forms. Pride is pride in all its forms. And so we shouldn't give humility a bad name by calling it false humility, right? That it simply is pride. And there really is a reason that the Bible warns against pride without giving too many disclaimers as to how much of it we should retain um, to boost self-image. Jesus often addressed the Pharisees for their pride. In Matthew 6, verse 1, he said, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds to be admired publicly, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, Don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, and here's what I want to get from this passage. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. So, we can have our reward now, 
Jesus didn't necessarily say, because they're doing those things, they're not, um, we wouldn't be believers or we wouldn't be, you know, you're not inheriting the kingdom of heaven because of that. But we're accepting full payment of our reward in the immediate. It's like someone who would have saved 15% of their income from age 18 to 30, and then they withdraw the entire amount. Um, Sorry, they would have invested 15% of their income into retirement savings. And then at 30, they would withdraw the whole thing. They'd get a fraction of what they would get if they would wait for that future reward. So do we truly believe that when we do our good works as unto God, and not to impress others, our Father will see that and will reward us incredibly. You know, pride and self-focus are everywhere. If we just listen to the soundtrack of our age, it sounds something like this. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. Love yourself. Express yourself. Believe in yourself. You deserve it. Indulge yourself. You know, we live in an age where sovereign self has been thrust at the very center of the stage. Companies realize this and really do their best marketing when they appeal to self and how it will make you feel how others will see you and will admire you. And even the church, of course, has been drastically affected by this. A lot of modern-day teachers put you at the center, your life, your family, your authority, your power, your abilities, your health, your wealth, your happiness is far too often the overarching theme. And many of these teachers emphasize that Jesus died because of how wonderful we are. Is that true? Any feedback? Did Jesus come because of how wonderful we are and the great potential that we had? They might teach that Jesus came because we had such great value rather than the biblical teaching that it was because of God's goodness and love that he came. We were born to be amazing. Have you heard that one? The belief really seems to be that if we realize how great we are, then we can be amazing for God. One such speaker recently had said, more of you, less of me is not true. Jesus had less of you before you were born, and he didn't like it. It sounds good on the surface, right? But it's really rooted in self. It's a very subtle difference, maybe, on the surface. But it's really rooted in in a self-focus. And I know I've said this before, but the idea that we need to spend more time loving ourselves in order to love other people is so anti-biblical. That's not supported anywhere in Scripture. More self-focus won't fix issues of low self-esteem. In fact, that's what caused it in the first place. So we should run from teaching that puts us at the center. All of the Old Testament was pointing forward to when Jesus would come to be a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice, for all people. Jesus paid the ultimate price, and he really deserves all praise, all adoration, 
and all glory for what he has done. So how does pride show up in our lives? Do we think we're simply the best at something? Nobody else could do it the way we do it. So what we need to remind ourselves of at times is there are millions of people that are doing exactly what you're doing in any given area of your life. Whether it's in a position at work, there are millions of companies that have somebody in that position. Whether it's our church, there are lots of churches that are faithful to God's word. Do we feel that we've accomplished everything we've achieved on our own? Are we working hard to build and manage our personal brand or what others think of us? You know, you may have heard this before, but reputation is what other people think about us. Character is what God knows about us. And we really build our character in the secret place with God. That's what he values most. Do we see ourselves as generally just smarter than other people in the room? Do we see others around us as tools to serve our purposes? Do we feel that we're somehow so different, so much more special, and maybe in some cases have so much of a greater understanding and revelation than faithful Christians that have gone before us? Do we find ourselves looking down often looking down on people around us. Those are some of the ways that pride can show up in our lives. And pride is very destructive because pride is giving ourselves the credit for something that God alone has accomplished. Pride is taking glory that belongs to God and keeping it for ourselves. Scripture is very clear that he doesn't take sharing his glory with others uh, very lightly. Pride is essentially self-worship. Anything we accomplish in this world would not have been possible if it wouldn't have been for God. 1 Corinthians 4.7 asks the question, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as if it weren't a gift? We've been given literally everything that we have. Our family, our education, opportunities. As Zig Ziglar used to say, you know, if you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know that that turtle had some help getting there, right? So everything we have, we've been given. Now, we had a part in utilizing the opportunities that we were given, but if you were born in a place of much less opportunity, think a third world country or something similar, we wouldn't have been Uh, that much different than others around us. So what does it look like to walk with humility? Walking in humility means looking to add value to others. Are we working toward a goal Um, as we're working toward a goal for ourselves and our families, is our focus to see how many people we can take with us and greatly enrich their lives. As we get to where we're going, are we looking to to seek to lift others up, not stepping on top of other people to get to where we want to go? 
in our leadership, are we giving opportunities to those we're leading to excel and grow? Are those around us just a little bit better because they know us and because of our interactions with them? Mark 10.45 reminds us that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. How are our lives impacting those around us for eternity? Walking with humility means considering the needs and interests of others, not seeking to advance ourselves at the expense of those around us. When Jesus noticed in Luke 14, verse 7, that all who had come into dinner were trying to sit in seats of honor at the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed, and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a much better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So that's a really interesting, I think in church here, I think that's why people normally don't take the front seats. Uh, Today there's a few that have, but... Uh, What if somebody would come in and tell you to take the back, right? Um, (laughs) So we start there. You know, considering how our decisions will affect those around us is important, not simply how we will benefit from those decisions. Walking with humility means thinking of others as better than ourselves. In Philippians 2 and verse 3, It says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourself, sorry, thinking of others as better than yourself. So, practical thought on that, when we walk into church, do we tend to see most people here or all others as better than ourselves, or do we see ourselves as the exception, maybe more spiritual, more mature than our other brothers and sisters? I think we need to ask ourselves, that question from time to time. Walking with humility means following the example of humility that Jesus showed. The rest of that section in Philippians 2 say this, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Sorry, my voice is really bad this morning. Do you mind grabbing a drink, Jason? Thank you. 
So humility asks the question, what can I learn, while pride suggests that we know most everything already. When we feel like we're invincible, we're actually the most vulnerable. If we feel like we could never fall, we could never be deceived, that's actually when we're the most vulnerable. It's like we end up putting blinders on and we, we can't see um, things that are coming at us like a horse, right? Like the blinders are on. We're only looking straight ahead. In Romans 12 and verse 3, it's recorded, Because of the privilege and authority God gave to me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourself. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. So walking with humility also means recognizing our need of God and our helplessness without him. Do we see our lives as serving Jesus, or do we see Jesus as simply being added as a blessing upon our life as we are pursuing our own interests and desires? Thank you. Is the emphasis on who we are or who Christ is in us? In Luke 17, it's an extremely interesting passage where Jesus said, When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me? No, he says, Prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. And then there's this. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Isn't that interesting? It's simply a a duty in the sense that when we obey Christ, the focus isn't on us. We are doing it. And again, there's... There's a whole topic and discussion about how the word servant is recorded in Scripture. Um, In most cases, it's actually meant to be slave, but that's been very offensive. Um, So normally when the apostles introduced themselves, they actually said a slave of Christ. Paul, a slave of Christ, Peter. And so there's a sense of our relationship with God to where that makes more sense in Scripture because we're bought with a great price, right? And that is a part of our relationship with God. We're not doing, when we obey Christ, we're not flying a flag above us that says, look at how special I am. Look at how much I've done. We're simply grateful. We're serving Christ. We're obeying his commands simply out of gratitude for what he's done in our lives. So are we saved because of our own intellect? Maybe we just thought through things better than those around us. Ephesians 2 makes this clear, starting in verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Does a masterpiece, you know, it is a masterpiece, but does a masterpiece boast about it? Does it point to the creator of that masterpiece? An interesting thing I found in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 gives us the idea that we are to take the initiative in humbling ourselves. It says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. How do we humble ourselves? How do we take initiative to ensure that we're walking in humility? So a few things that humility is not. Humility is not denying the gifts and graces that God has given to us. It's important to know how we're gifted, what we're gifted in, and recognize that we're using it to help and serve others. Humility is not about putting yourself down. It's not about thinking less of ourselves. It's simply thinking of ourselves less. It's being sober in our assessment and walking in the acknowledgement of God's grace. It's using everything God has given us for his honor and glory. Number three, humility is not a lack of direction desire, or godly ambition. It's not wrong to want to be used of God to advance his kingdom. God does want us to do great things for him. God is not glorified by a losing or defeatist mentality. Humility is not denying the work of God within you or within the church. And humility certainly is not the pursuit of a mediocre life. We should pursue excellence, but not with the motivation of calling attention to ourselves, but rather to God. Humility really allows us to enjoy the gifts of God without trying to impress others. And number six, humility is not denying or backing away from the truth. We are called to be righteous and we're called to be humble. We're responsible to speak the truth in love without being self-righteously critical. So how do we walk in this humble confidence? When we're walking in humble confidence, we accomplish all we can with the goal of bringing glory to God. God does want us to accomplish everything we can, to do the best with what's been given to us. I know I've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but we should be the best employees and the best business owners that we possibly could be, the best managers, the best leaders. As representatives of Christ, we bring excellence, we bring integrity, we bring great value, we bring humility into the workplace. So how many of you who are in business have recently fired somebody with the following qualities? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody? 
that makes for an excellent employee, an excellent business owner, an excellent manager, and it's an excellent testimony of the one we're representing. Colossians 3 says it best, uh, starting in verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. If every day in whatever we do, if we see it as we're working at this as unto the Lord, I really do think it would make a difference. When God gives us, gives us that God-sized dream, we certainly should work toward it if it aligns with God's word. So God does cause to, to step out in faith to take risk, sometimes as we're following him. So again, we should, we should seek to accomplish great things, but with the goal of bringing honor and glory to the one who is worthy. Number two, when we're walking in humble confidence, we seek to manage well what God has entrusted to us. We know the story in Matthew 25 very well, regarding the um, man who went on a long trip. He called three of his servants together, and he said, hey, guys, I have different amounts of money. It's not all the same, and I'm dividing it according to your abilities. The first two servants, we know, invested wisely. They doubled the money, and uh, that was pretty good. The, The master was very happy. The third hid his in the ground, And then picking up in verse 24 of uh, Matthew 25. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops and I didn't, that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have in abundance." But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this story, it's very clear that God entrusts us with different things. We're not all entrusted with the same thing. Different responsibilities, different gifts. And each of us should seek to manage well what God has entrusted us with. It won't be the same for everybody. I'm sure you could look the uh, person, the the person with five talents and the person with two talents, you know, could have had a big argument rather than getting to work at doubling the money. When we're walking in humble confidence, we love to accomplish things with others, furthering community. In 1 Peter 4, 
verse 7. Um, it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. I guess that's a command as well, right? God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What should spiritual gifts be used for? Anyone? Are they given to serve unbelievers? It says here, use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as a God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. It looks like excellence, right? Then everything you will do will bring glory to God through Christ Jesus. All power and glory to him forever and ever. So we use our gifts for the benefit of the whole body. Have you ever wondered why these are called gifts, by the way? There could have been other words for it. Special abilities, powerful strengths, or superpowers, right? Like, but they're called gifts. And maybe God knew that we needed the reminder that it simply was a gift. So when you're on the receiving end with a gift, what's your only part in it? Anybody? Yes. Uh, let's say maybe a physical gift at Christmas time. If I would come and I would have wrapped it, I would have done everything with the gift, picked it out. Now I'm coming, and what would your only part be in it? Right, right. Receiving it with thanksgiving. Right. And clearly, sorry, was there something? Yeah, I mean, we could open it and then throw it in the trash, right? And that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be very grateful. But clearly, it's a gift. And I think it's interesting that all throughout Scripture, spiritual gifts are called gifts. It's not, a, it's not something we have decided to grab on our own, to develop on our own. And yet, in this passage, it also clearly, we're also clearly instructed to do the absolute best that we can with the gifts that we've been given. We should do the absolute best that we can with the things that God has given us. And also, when we're walking in humble confidence in ministry, we don't mind when other people are harvesting seeds that we've watered for years. We rejoice that the harvest is happening in that person's life. Whether it's us, whether it's somebody else in the church that gets to harvest that fruit. Number four, when we're walking in humble confidence, our goal is that Jesus would increase. John said in, he told the Pharisees, I baptize with water, and this is in John 1 and verse 26. I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Although his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. There's that word slave. And untie the straps of his sandal. He realized who Jesus was. And then in John 3, 
when John's disciples came to him, and they were concerned. It's, you know, Jesus is starting to baptize people. Um, people are now following him. They're not following John and his disciples anymore. John's response was, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. So I think we need to intentionally be intentional about the way that we are showing Jesus in the world. The way that we are aware of maybe selfish, selfish ambition in our own hearts and really truly showing Jesus in a real way to people around us. You know, and by the way, if we're not good with God getting the glory, if we're not good with the fact that we exist to bring him glory, if it bothers us that he truly is a hero of our stories, you know, we may as well at that point find something else to do, right? Because God does not share his glory with others. So how is Jesus increasing in our lives and through us to those around us? And then in closing, when we're walking in humble confidence, we shine the spotlight of our life upon Jesus. We work hard to show the goodness of Jesus to a world around us. You may have heard the the song that has this phrase, I don't need my name in lights. I'm famous in my father's eyes. It's all his stage. Make no mistake, he knows my name. We have a father who truly loves us who has 100% accepted us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And because we know him, we know that we are deeply loved, and we have found great treasure in him, we don't need to be recognized. We don't need others around us to recognize us. We rather shine the spotlight of our lives upon Jesus and because we long for other people to get to know him as well. We studied this a few weeks ago in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everybody will praise your heavenly Father. Being humble is not hiding. It's not hiding the things that God is doing. It's not hiding the light that God wants for us to let shine out through our good deeds. The motivation being that everybody will praise our Heavenly Father. So we're intentional about how we shine our spotlight upon Jesus. We were on vacation recently, and the the person cleaning, the lady cleaning the bathrooms, excellent attitude. The, the bathrooms were always spotless, literally clean between every person. And when you would thank her, she would say, all glory to God, all glory to God. It was, it was amazing. Like, she was doing a great job, and I know, I know it was a great witness as well for something that we would say is as small as cleaning the bathroom. So let's shine our, the spotlight of our lives upon Jesus the one who truly can bring freedom and joy, life and peace to the people around us. Let's walk with humble confidence, doing our absolute best in the things that God entrusts us with, and then give the honor and glory 
to the one who enabled us to achieve those things in the first place. May the story of our lives point to a much greater story. And may our life's energy be spent in getting to know God and rejoicing in making him known. Thanks for listening this morning.